Welcome back to Parkside Green's Bible Study. Pastor Steve here with a question as we get started. If you were to choose 10 adjectives to describe Jesus, what would they be? What would you include in your top 10 words to describe Jesus? As I visited some websites, I came across words such as amazing and authentic, called and compassionate, determined and divine, earthly and exalted, friendly and forgiving, gentle and glorious, honest and humble, innocent and influential, kind and king, lowly and loving, meek and merciful, patient and perfect, real and righteous, sacrificial and sinless, tender and truthful. Good words, good words. But what struck me was one word that hardly appeared on any list, even lists that were over a hundred words long. And this word is powerful, powerful, which I think might have made it into Luke's top 10 list. In chapter four, verse 36, Luke records how people were amazed at how with authority and power, Jesus commands the unclean spirits and they come out. In chapter five, verse 17, Luke tells us that the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. And in chapter six, verse 19, Luke says that all the crowd sought to touch Jesus for power came out from him and healed them all as we'll see in this week's passage, that Luke gives us further portraits of power, portraits of power in chapter 8, verse 40, through chapter 9, verse 17. Last week, Luke told us and showed us, you remember, how Jesus is Lord over creation, can calm the storm, the winds and the waves obey him. He's Lord over the demons, Remember the incident with the pigs? And this week he's going to show us Jesus is also Lord over disease with a woman and Lord over death with a girl. So we'll explore these portraits of power under four main headings. Number one, power to heal, chapter 8, verses 40 to 48. Secondly, power to raise, chapter 8, verses 49 to 56. Thirdly, power to send in verses 1 to 9 of chapter 9, and then fourthly, power to provide in chapter 9, verses 10 to 17. You'll remember that Jesus has been teaching a large crowd before sailing with his disciples across the lake to the Gerasenes, who eventually, after many things happened, asked Jesus to leave. And in verse 40, we learn that the crowd over here had been waiting for Jesus to return, and they welcomed him back when he arrived back. Which brings us to our first heading, Jesus' power to heal. Out of the waiting crowd, there emerged a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the local synagogue, perhaps one who helped organize or, or perhaps taught in their local synagogue services. And Jairus implored Jesus to come to his house because Jairus' only daughter, his only daughter, a 12-year-old, was dying. As Jesus set out with Jairus to his house, people were pressing around him. They, they were almost crushing him, it could be translated. And in this throng of people was a lady 
who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years. She had been bleeding for the same length of time that that girl had been alive, 12 years. And this type of ongoing hemorrhaging would have rendered her ceremonially unclean, excluding her from normal social and religious activities. It was so bad that she had spent all her money on doctors, but none of them, not one of them, could heal her. Though physicians couldn't heal her, she believed Jesus could. She had heard reports about Jesus. Matthew and Mark tell us that she said to herself, if only I touch Jesus's garment, I will be made well. And sure enough, she came up behind Jesus, touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. In fact, Mark says that she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And she wasn't the only one who felt something. Jesus perceived that power, there's that word again, power had gone out from him. So Jesus asked, who was it who touched me? Now, initially, everyone denied it, even though, of course, lots of people had pressed in on and, and touched Jesus. But her touch wasn't just a, a jostling touch. It was a touch of faith that Jesus could do what no doctor could do. And as with the leper earlier in chapter 5, coming into contact with this unclean woman did not make Jesus unclean. Rather, it made her clean for the first time in a dozen years. When the, when the woman realized that she couldn't hide her action from Jesus, she came forward out of the crowd trembling and, and falling down before Jesus. She explained why she had touched Jesus and how she had been healed immediately. Now, Jesus tenderly addresses the woman as daughter, daughter. No longer on the fringes of society, she had been restored to the family of God. Daughter, your faith has made you well. See, this wasn't a healing by touching a magical cloak. Uh-uh, it was by faith in Jesus. She had put her trust in the right person for 12 years. I mean, she had had no peace, but now she was well and she could go in peace. We can imagine the oohs and the ahs from the crowd, but this momentary high comes crashing down because during the very time that this daughter of God had been healed, Jairus's one and only daughter had died. And this takes us from Jesus's power to heal to Jesus's power to raise. While Jesus was still speaking to the woman with, with words of health and peace still on his lips, someone from Jairus's house came and told the ruler that his daughter was dead. So there was no need to, to trouble the teacher anymore. Yes, perhaps a, a long time disease could be healed, but it was just not possible to heal a dead person. Don't, don't trouble him anymore. And we wonder, don't we, did, did Jairus perhaps think to himself, if Jesus hadn't taken all that time with the bleeding woman, maybe he could have reached my daughter in time and now it's too late. 
We don't know. We don't know. But we do know that Jesus drops a bombshell telling Jairus, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. In Jesus' presence, faith is the antidote to fear, even fear in the face of death. Now, apparently the crowd had followed along, but when they arrived at Jairus' house, Jesus allowed only five people to enter with him. The, the child's mom and dad, and then his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And, and it's the first time we read of these three, Peter, James, and John, as Jesus kind of inner circle. Inside the house, people were mourning for the dead girl. Matthew tells us that flute players were already there accompanying those who Mark says were weeping and wailing loudly. <laughs> the, the funeral had already begun, in essence. And we remember, don't we, what happened the last time Jesus was at a funeral? How he raised the son of a widow from the dead in chapter 7. But it sounded like foolishness to the people in Jairus' house when Jesus told them not to weep because the girl was not dead but sleeping. Now, there's no question that the girl had actually died. As verse 55 tells us that her spirit had departed from her. But from Jesus' perspective, this girl could be awakened from her state. By contrast, the mourners saw no remedy for death, and they, they laughed at Jesus. Mark tells us that Jesus put the laughing mockers outside of the house, and then he went with this little group of five to where the girl was. He took the dead girl by the hand and called out, Child, arise! Mark gives, us to us in the, gives it to us in the Aramaic that Jesus spoke, Talitha kumi! which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And to the amazement of her parents, the girl's spirit returned. She got up at once. Jesus directed that the girl be given something to eat, and then he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Perhaps, perhaps, because Galilean Jews might misunderstand Jesus as a, a revolutionary political messiah, and this seems seems to contrast with the Gentile area of the Gerasenes that we saw last week where Jesus wanted the healed man to publicly declare all that God had done for him. The main takeaway point is this. Just as Jesus is Lord over creation and Lord over demons and Lord over disease, he is also Lord over death. Jesus has the power to heal, the power to raise from the dead as well. And as we'll see in our third section, Jesus also has the power to send. At the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus gave his 12 disciples power, there's that word again, power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. We're also told that Jesus sent his disciples out. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And on their journey, Jesus told his 12 disciples to take no staff or bag or bread or money or extra clothes, travel light, right? Matthew adds that they weren't even supposed to receive pay for their ministry either. They must learn for God 
to supply their needs. Trust God to supply their needs. They were to find a house where they were welcome and then stay there until they left that town. And when a town did not welcome them or receive them, they were to shake off the dust from their feet as a testimony against those towns. In their first missionary journeys, then, Jesus' disciples preached the gospel and they healed people in the villages. And as they went, they could expect varied responses. Not all would receive them. It goes back to what Jesus taught in the parable of the different soils. And that those different responses included a response of perplexity from Herod, the Tetrarch of Galilee. You see, when Herod heard what Jesus had done, and maybe also what his disciples were now doing on their mission, he wasn't sure what to make of it. I mean, some people thought Jesus was actually like a, a resurrected John the Baptist. Others said he was a, like a reappearance of Elijah or one of the prophets of old. And Herod knew that he had beheaded John. He remembered the head on the platter. But Mark tells us that Herod was kind of conjecturing to himself that John had been raised from the dead and, and reappeared as Jesus in some way. Herod couldn't be sure who this new miracle worker was, but he definitely wanted to meet him, and he will later in the Gospel of Luke. In this section, we see that Jesus' ministry was starting to spread geographically through the ministry of his apostles. What had looked like a, a kind of like a one-man operation was clearly now a, a group effort. Jesus not only had power himself, but he gave the 12 power to heal and to preach the gospel. Jesus then has the power to send or to delegate. And finally, Jesus has the power to provide. When the apostles returned, they told Jesus all that they had done. And Jesus knew that the 12 could probably use a break after this intense period of mission work. So he took them to a town or near a town called Bethsaida, which was a quiet place where they could rest. But the rest time alone did not last for very long because the crowds got wind of where Jesus was and they followed him. <laughs> and rather than retreating away from them, Jesus compassionately welcomed the crowds. He continued his mission of curing those who needed healing and speaking to them of God's kingdom. As sunset approached and daylight was waning, the apostles were concerned for the crowd, that, that, that they had food and lodging. They suggested that while there's maybe a little bit of daylight left, Jesus send the crowd to nearby homes and villages to find food and lodging. And that, that makes sense. But Jesus, full of surprises, says that to them, you give them something to eat. You you give them something to eat. Now, this did not make sense. I mean, the 12 could only see the problems. They could not see the possibilities here. It seemed like maybe they had forgotten that uh, Jesus was Lord over creation and spirits and disease and death. I mean, surely he could handle a food shortage, right? But this was a huge crowd, and as the disciples saw it, these five loaves and two fish could hardly feed 5,000 men plus women and children, 10, 15, 20,000 people, I don't know. Did Jesus mean for the disciples to go to the nearby villages to, to purchase food 
for all these people? I mean, that, that would cost eight months wages, maybe like $20,000 or so today. No, no. Jesus told his disciples to have the people sit down in groups of 50 or so, and then taking the five loaves, which were probably smaller, single serving size loaves, and, and the two fish, maybe they were the dried fish or pickled fish that one could carry with them. Uh, Jesus looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. He broke the loaves, he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the crowd. God would be their provider. Now we're not told exactly how it happened, but we are told what happened, which is that everyone ate and they were satisfied. They ate to their full content. In fact, there were 12 baskets full of leftovers, broken pieces, and in this economy of scarcity they lived in, it was a treat to have a, a full, satisfying meal of bread and fish, get some meat in your diet, and in an economy of scarcity, nothing was to be wasted. But the point of the story is really what it teaches us about Jesus. He is not just a healer and a teacher, he is also a provider. Just as God had provided manna in the desert for his people, Jesus provides bread in a deserted place. Jesus had astounding power to provide, power to heal, power to raise, power to send, and power to provide. How does all this apply to us? Four thoughts to consider in closing. Number one, trust Jesus even in long-term situations of heartache. 12 years of physical bleeding and social exclusion. Lots of lost time and lost money with doctors. But you can trust that Jesus will make all well, whether in this life or in the life to come. And then we can go in peace. So number one, trust Jesus, even in long-term situations of heartache. And closely related, number two, trust Jesus with matters that seem hopeless. Your daughter pronounced dead. The funeral already started. Don't worry about troubling the teacher anymore. But no, faith in Jesus can calm our fears. Trust Jesus with matters that seem hopeless. Thirdly, carry out the ministry that Jesus gives you, right? The 12 were to heal and proclaim God's kingdom, though their ministry wouldn't be welcomed in every town. What's your ministry? Where has Jesus sent you? Carry out the ministry that Jesus gives you. Fourth and finally, Look to Jesus to provide, even when our resources are very small. Five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 men plus women and kids. Yet they had plenty to eat, and there were leftovers. <laughs> so look to Jesus to provide, even when our resources are very small. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for sending your Son to earth with power to heal, power to raise, power to send, and power to provide. We thank you that all your promises find their yes in Jesus. And this coming week, may we put our trust in Jesus, to look to Jesus to provide, and 
May we carry out the ministry that Jesus, Jesus has given to each one of us. In all these things, we want Jesus to get the glory. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.